I'm Gabby. Welcome to the Happier Life Project, brought to you by the free award-winning mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self. Are you listening to this podcast episode close to its release date in January? Are you taking part in dry January this year? And do you participate in dry or damp spells to give yourself a break from drinking alcohol? Today's show is exploring our relationship with drinking. Do we enjoy it as much as we think we do? Or do we more enjoy the rituals accompanied with drinking? Do we use it as a coping mechanism? Whereas maybe, could we consider a more healthier option? Amanda E. White is a licensed therapist and the creator of the popular Instagram account at Therapy for Women. She is also host of the podcast Recovered-ish and author of the brilliant book Not Drinking Tonight and its corresponding workbook. I devoured Not Drinking Tonight over two days. The way Amanda makes you look not just at your own relationship with alcohol, but also the way others perceive its place culturally and amongst society. It was so eye-opening. Before we go into the conversation with Amanda, I'm going to share the synopsis of the book. Choosing not to drink can be daunting. It's everywhere in our culture, our socialising and our distressing. And it can seem black or white. You drink or you don't drink. And if you don't, people ask why. That's where Not Drinking Tonight comes in. Judgment-free and relatable, Amanda E. White helps you unpack your relationship with alcohol by showing you how to find out why you drink, whether it's a glass of wine after work or a weekly bar crawl. Your drinking habits can be the result of everything from biology to trauma. Heal your relationship with alcohol. Understand how your relationships have been affecting your life and learn how to set boundaries and create true self-care. Build the sober life you love. Learn what comes next. How to maintain your sober life. Navigate sex and relationships and love yourself. Not Drinking Tonight isn't a program to stop drinking. It's the first book to help you address the root issues that cause you to reach for a drink and create a life you love, one that is not perfect, but is messy and real and one you are fully present for. So, ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. I've got so many notes, Amanda, you wouldn't believe, like I've just <laughs> devoured your, your book. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, Amanda E. White, welcome to the Happier Life Project. I'm just going to cut to the chase because I've already started fangirling about uh, your book, Not Drinking Tonight. I just absolutely loved how you made me think about booze, not just my own relationship with booze, but the people in my life and their relationship with booze, because I've been sober for nearly 14 months now. And it was never like Mm -hmm. a a conscious decision. Even I just kind of started to do it naturally. And then 
was like, oh, I'm going to carry this on. And before you knew it, it was like coming up to a year. And I was like, I still just have absolutely no inkling to drink. And people were like, so is that it for you now with alcohol? And especially people that knew me in my twenties, when I was a real party girl, it was like, really, you're going to be, and they threw, threw out the word boring a few times. Mm-hmm. You're going to get boring. But that just made me dig my heels in even more because I'm stubborn like that. Yeah. So I have not really thought about alcohol at all, to be honest with you, until going into your research. And then you just brought up so many like really interesting points in terms of like, um, let's look at your attitudes and your relationship with alcohol, not necessarily from the point of view of, right, you've got a problem and you need to completely stop, but just in terms of like actually getting into like the nitty gritty and how complex it is and how everybody's journey and story is so completely different. So can we start with yours? Yeah. What led you down this road? And I know some of it from reading the book, but for those that haven't, um, yeah, in your own words, like how, how did we get to where we are? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I kind of have two stories because I had an eating disorder in high school and college. And that was definitely when my drinking was the worst. And I definitely had some really low points that if someone else looked at me, they would probably have said that I had an alcohol disorder. But then I graduated college and I got a little bit better. And then my drinking became kind of more casual, but I was still losing control a lot. And I was partying a lot. And I really kind of felt like I deserved to be able to drink and I wanted to be able to drink and have fun. And I thought it made me a better version of myself. Mm -hmm. And I was at the same time working with a therapist and trying to, you know, just work through my mental health, recover from my eating disorder. And every time I would drink, I felt like I would do things that were not in alignment with my values or things that I regretted that made me feel bad the next day. So I never had like a DUI. I didn't go to jail. I didn't have anything. You know, even when I had said that I was going to stop drinking, my parents thought that that was crazy. They were like, this seems extreme. Can't you just cut back a little bit? And I really relate to both sides of it. I relate to the people that kind of feel like they needed to stop drinking. And I relate to the people who just drank too much and just didn't like how it was making them feel. And my kind of last moment drinking, I was the yoga teacher at the time. I also was getting my master's degree to become a therapist. I woke up in a rehab center. No. Yes, yes, exactly. And I, I related to them because I was like, I had this eating disorder. So I like get the addiction component because I did feel addicted to food in in ways. So I felt like I I really related, but I thought my drinking was different. And I woke up one morning and I taught yoga completely drunk, which was very out of character for me. So mortifying. And for a yoga teacher, I mean, I've done my 400 hours teacher training and like, I mean, wow. Yeah. 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 So I was mortified, obviously. And thankfully, I had a moment of being like, I can see where this is going and I'm not going to be able to live the life that I want to live. I'm not going to be able to be a therapist. I didn't quite see all of my denial yet. (laughs) That took some time. But I try to tell people too, yes, that was my rock bottom moment. But I had other times that were lower. And I think sometimes there is this very big preoccupation with 
your last you know moment has to be your lowest or you need to hit rock bottom mm -hmm. and that can prevent a lot of people from making a change that will improve their lives now yeah that's such a good point and the whole like drinking in moderation or just cutting back versus cutting out did you think about doing that first and you tried it and maybe it wasn't working for you and that's why you were like i have to completely you know lose the booze yeah i tried a couple times i did some like 30 day off kind of you know practices where i stopped drinking for 30 days and i tried really hard to moderate i did all kinds of things like only drinking beer only drinking wine never doing shots you know all kinds of different things to try to make it work and ultimately i didn't even know when i stopped drinking that i wouldn't go back or try to moderate in the future i just realized that this was so hard for me to moderate and i i have no problem with with people moderating i think it's a complete individual choice but i think sometimes what isn't talked about is it is harder to moderate for most people than to just stop drinking because it is hard to moderate an addictive substance like alcohol regardless of how you know healthy you are and i think people don't realize i often try to explain to when i work with clients and stuff a lot of people say i want to cut back i want to not black out but i still mm -hmm. want to get drunk you yeah. know i still want to really lose control yeah and i kind of tell them if that's your goal moderation isn't going to be successful we can't once you lose the point of control once you lose your like you know, the front part of your brain goes offline. It's really hard to find that balance between I want to get really drunk, but I don't want to black out or, you know, have a bad thing happen. Yeah. Oh my God. Just listening to you, like brings back a lot of like the same kind of things that happened to me where I'd be like, okay, well, if I just drink shots and that's, you know, it's not like drinking wine. So if I just do shots, like a shot an hour, then I can still be drunk, yeah. you know, cause I measure my, better. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like maybe less calories, you know, like, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it, it can be really good fun, but then like for me, even when I was really young and started to drink, I never escaped the hangovers. I mean, my friends used to laugh at me because like the next day I would wake up looking like, I don't know, the love child of like Alice Cooper and Marilyn Manson. It was not pretty. It was really not pretty. Um, yes. Don't miss that at all. Have to say, don't yeah. miss that. Yeah, I'm really interested in this, like the labeling of the word alcoholic and you touched on it already in that preventative mm -hmm. thing of why so many people are like, well, I could just stop. I mean, and that's even people with big problems as well. But like to a lesser degree, it's like, well, I only have a glass a night. So, and we've been told that a glass of wine a night is actually good for us, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thankfully the research has come out that has very much contradicted them. And they've said even drinking a small amount has risks of cancer um, and other diseases. But yeah, that narrative was so strong for so many years that I think it is going to take some time for people to really listen and absorb that and for that you know information to trickle all the way down to doctors even that don't specialize in this. Mm. Well, just kind of on that thread as well, in terms of like doing some myth busting, 
the relaxation, the whole like winding down with a glass of wine at the end of the night and maybe that does turn to two and how it's a way of like a reward for like the end of the day. I thought it was really interesting what you said there about is it maybe the first sip? Is it like the signal versus what you're actually putting into your body? Yeah, I think we really discount and forget that alcohol drinking is also a habit and we get, you know, our our brains are programmed also to get relief, to release chemicals from just doing habits. That's how habits stick. So I think that, yes, alcohol is a harder habit to break and it's more than a habit. But for a lot of people, I think that it's the ritual of pouring a glass at the end of the day, or maybe making a drink or cracking open that um, beer can. It's like, yeah. it's the sounds, it's the, it's how it, the glass feels. It's all of these, it's like a sensory experience. Mm-hmm. And I kind of ask people the question, when do you feel the relief? Do you feel the relief after you finish the drink? Or do you feel the relief when you sit down on the couch, when the drink is made and you take that first step? or that first sip. And -hmm. most people say it's that beginning part. And that's where we can then start to ask the question, okay, if that's where you're getting that relief from, is there another habit that we can replace that with? Is there something else you could do at the end of the day? Is there some, a different type of drink you could make at the end of the day? And I think that People are pleasantly surprised sometimes, especially if you don't have an unhealthy relationship necessarily with alcohol. I think it can be really cool for those people to swap and to just see if they made something non-alcoholic or they tried, you know, an alcohol-free beverage Mm -hmm. and they made it, if that would have the same effect. Because I think for moderation to be successful long-term, it's a constant question of, is this worth it? Is this drink worth it? And maybe for some people it is in different contexts, but if you don't try not drinking, you don't really know and what your baseline is and you don't get to then really know the answer to the question, is it worth it? Mm, yeah, you go back to that question a lot. Is it is it worth it? Is this drink worth it? Or is drinking worth it? I find it really interesting with wine as well. Like that, kind of known thing of winding down like we just talked about but then also wine is used if you think about a girl's night out the girls will come round you'll all get together at a friend's house what's the first thing you do you crack open a bottle of wine and that's usually to yeah. get the party started you know and to like invigorate you so how can wine chill you out and calm you down but it can also hype you up and get you ready to get your dancing shoes on you know so is it really the drink Right. Yeah. No, a lot of things in our life, I would say it's about the ritual. It's about what we know is coming. So much of our brain anticipates, like so much of our current mood is actually just our brain anticipating what's happening next. Like if you think about how do you feel at the end of a work day on a Friday when you're about to go on vacation versus you're at the beach and you know you're going back to work the next day. Like you're in a better place. You're on the beach versus in the office, but it's what's ahead of you. What's in the future. That's actually determining your current mood. So it's not just about the wine. It's what the wine represents that we're going to get together and have this fun night, or I'm going to connect with my friends or work is done. And now I can relax. It's 
a lot of it is the context of what's already going on in our life that infuses into the ritual or the drink. Mm. Yeah, you're making me think as well about, and I've never been this person, but airports, you know, people that start drinking in the morning, it's like they've got a, a free pass to have a, a, a Chardonnay with breakfast because they're going on holiday. And like you said, it's that ritual. Another ritual, I think, with alcohol is heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And it being yes. used, I mean, I think of Bridget Jones, that iconic yeah. scene where she's drinking on her own, singing all by myself. And again, it's just these messages, isn't it? That Like that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. And that it's what adults do. I think when you really step back and analyze media, up until a few years ago, literally, I think even if we look at what we're taught as teens and adolescents and young people is it's like alcohol is how adults deal with life being hard or deal with emotions, right? We use it to celebrate. We use it for hard things. We use it for stress. We use it to your point when we go through something, you know, a heartbreak or, or someone, you know, dies, we like all go out for drinks. We go to a bar. It's everything. And that I think is also a factor of the fact that a lot of Adolescents don't learn how to even, besides once they get out of school, a lot of us never learn outside of school. How do we have these relationships with people? How do we deal with emotions? Because alcohol is just so present. We never even learn. Like I work with lots of women who say I could never date sober because it's so hard to date and, or I could never go to a networking event without drinking. And once they actually stop drinking, they realize that it's It's not that they can't do it. It's just that they never learned. And I think practice is so underrated in learning new skills. Yeah, absolutely. The Happier Life Project is part of the mental health and wellness at My Possible Self. And when we're looking at mental health and alcohol, in terms of people who struggle with their mental health and might use um, alcohol as part of their toolkits, to self-soothe, say, for example, somebody is suffering from anxiety. And again, it's these messages that we've been told that it actually chills you out and calms you down, right? Well, what do you say to those people? Yeah. So what I say to them is that alcohol provides temporary relief for mental health issues. It temporarily makes you feel like your anxiety has lowered or you're less depressed. It kind of just numbs everything. And It's not that it's not effective in the short term. It's just that over time, you aren't treating your anxiety or depression or mental health issue. You are just kind of kicking the can down the road. And what we also know that's even worse is that when we consistently suppress our emotions, they end up getting bigger and feeling more unmanageable later on. So it's really like credit card debt. It's like you're just swiping and just paying minimum, you know, deposits over and over and over, but there's interest that's going to have to be paid unfortunately. Yeah, and usually it's quite quickly, like the next day the beer fear or the booze blues or you know, yeah. any of that. And and like you say yourself in in your book as well about the mental health issues can get worse. Because you're like, oh God, what did I do last night? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're mixing alcohol and work too. Mm, Yeah, definitely. We're in, I'm air quoting, dry January. 
And it was listening to your podcast. I'd never heard of the term damp January before. So what is that? Yeah, damp January is just not quite dry. You know, <laughs> it's it's drinking a little bit. It's really about people, I think, who don't want to totally stop drinking, just kind of approaching their alcohol in a more mindful way or trying to cut back a little bit. Mm. My sort of issue with the dry January thing is like, and I've said it on other podcasts about how I feel like, and if we're going to include our US listeners and go back to Thanksgiving. So if we say the last Mm -hmm. five or six weeks of the year is very much this time to, for a lot of people at least, to celebrate, to indulge in whatever they want to eat, whatever they want to drink. And then they've got to punish themselves in January and like completely go to the the other side of the scale. And I know people that do dry January and they do it as a way of kind of, you know, evening out for all the damage they did in December, but then they will reward themselves with a big blowout come the 1st of February. So I don't know, for me, I'm like, is it a good thing, Amanda? What do you think? I I hear you. I think especially if it's coming from like a weight loss perspective or people are treating dry January like a diet, especially, you know, just from a health standpoint, cutting off, not drinking for 30 days, you're really lowering your tolerance, which is good. But if you're going back to drinking the same amount on February 1st, Mm -hmm. you are going to be like totally, you know, doing the opposite. So your body is getting a bit of a shock with that. I'm just a big fan of mindfulness. I think mindfulness, whether you're going to be sober long-term or stop drinking completely or whether you want to cut back is most important. So I would rather have someone drink less and do a damp January rather than a dry January if they aren't doing it, being curious about what their experience is. Because yeah, if they're just doing it as like a competition or a countdown or a reset, yeah, they're going to walk away from that experience and not have really learned anything about why or how they drink. Yeah. And is it good for the body? I mean, I suppose to give yourself a break, maybe it is. Is it a good place to start? To, to ha- is, Does it feel like um, easier, I suppose, to be like, okay, let's do a goal of a month? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely can be in terms of, I think the hard part about moderating, and I think there are pros or cons to both is with moderating, you don't get the full effects of how you feel. So, right. I think one of the best things that inspires people to continue to not drink is they realize, oh my gosh, I'm sleeping so much better. Or, you know, I had a lot less anxiety or I have more energy or I just feel better. And that can be inspiring and motivating to keep going, where if you're just moderating a bit, you may not totally have that. And it may kind of feel like, okay, well, I'm not getting horrible hangovers, so that's better than nothing, but I'm not really getting any positive effects to, to keep going. But I also have to be honest and say a lot of times 30 days isn't quite enough to like fully get the benefits. It's more like 60 days where your body fully adjusts. Mm. And what are your thoughts on like binge drinking? Because certainly in the UK, it is, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a a cultural thing, definitely. And it's like, I was thinking about this today, drinking till you're throwing up, you've poisoned yourself, basically, can be like Mm -hmm. a badge of honor almost. It's like, way and oh, better out than in. And it's very kind of like, 
No, actually, your body is like rejecting what you're putting into it. And like, if we swap drink with food and mm-hmm. you were like stuffing yourself with food that was poisoning you to the point of throwing yeah. up and you did that on a weekly basis, I think friends and family would intervene and be like, what are you doing? You're poisoning yourself. And yet somehow with alcohol, it's okay. It's very bizarre. It's very bizarre when you look at it. I think that I think it's a cultural thing, like you said, and I think the United States, Australia, you know, I think that it's definitely in different countries as well. I think that it just can cause so much, so much chaos in someone's lives. I would say the most dangerous types of drinking are binge drinking and or drinking a significant amount daily, which would cause you to detox when you stopped drinking. Because one thing people forget about alcohol is that alcohol is actually one of the only drugs that you can die from when you stop doing it compared to even if you look at harder drugs, you may feel like you're going to die, but it's not really a medical risk in terms of death where it's very dangerous if you drink every day to stop drinking cold turkey and you may need to get help or, um, you know, see a doctor or go to a detox facility to help you safely stop drinking. Mm. Something else that you say in the book, and I think you might be quoting it from elsewhere, alcohol is the only drug that you have to justify not taking <laughs> Yes. Annie Grace says that. And I think it's a phenomenally true quote. Yeah. So profound. Again, going back to like mental health mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm bringing this up because I know, well, so many people suffer with their mental health and certainly a lot of our app users and listeners will be on various types of prescriptions. And something I've noticed from loved ones that I know that are on a type mm-hmm. of antidepressant, they still drink, they still have a tipple even though it clearly mm-hmm. states, do not mix alcohol with an- antidepressants. I mean, sertraline is prescribed a lot for like um, mm-hmm. anxiety. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a couple of fam- family members that I know that are really still just drinking as normal. And I've been on mm-hmm. sertraline and I remember the doctor saying to me, do not drink on these. Mm-hmm. Do you see this a lot? And what what do you say to that? Oh, yes. I see it so, so much. And I think it's, I think it's hard with uh, medications and like warnings on them. I feel like at least I can speak for in America. I think some of the warnings on drugs are so right, like thorough and long, right? Like they're pages long (laughs) when you get to the, if you see an advertisement, there's like tons and tons of words on every possible side effect that I think sometimes it makes people just not take them seriously at all. And I think that that's definitely, um, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely makes those drugs less effective. It can definitely, when you start to getting into mixing things, it can make them not work as they're supposed to. It can lower your tolerance or mess with your tolerance in different ways. But yeah, I think it's just kind of a sign of our our culture sometimes that drinking is so important to us or it is such a drastic change that it's not often something someone considers doing. I think that that's starting to change. I've never, I never thought in my lifetime, anyone would be like talking so much about sobriety and dry January and in culture and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that it's just, it just shows how, how important it is to, to most people. (laughs) Yeah. They turn a blind eye, don't they? Yes. So should we just cut to the chase? Is any amount of alcohol safe for your brain? 
Research says no, unfortunately. There's a lot of, especially if you look at how it impacts memory, how it impacts gray matter, which is like a really important part of your brain, all these different functions, they've really done a lot of new research and they found that no amount, I mean, alcohol is a poison. That's what I think we need to remember. Um, and, and I think it'll be very interesting in years to come if if it kind of follows in the same footsteps as how big tobacco was regulated eventually and just the shift in culture of how common smoking was and how different it is now. Mm. This is something I, I really appreciated as well mm -hmm. in the book. And it was how you articulated and addressed when you're not drinking and your partner is, Yes, how you notice they're not quite fully there. I've noticed it amongst, you know, friends, partners, whatever, where even after one, they think it doesn't change them. And <laughs> you're smiling and nodding. And it's like, I'm speaking to somebody who's got a glazed look on their face right now. And I'm like, are you hearing me? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it is a big challenge. It's something that happens for sure. And like you said, people are defensive. They say that they're the same. It's, you know, it's the same adage, I think, as people who are drunk saying like they can drive. Like you're fundamentally your perception of your coordination or how you're coming off. That part of your brain is not do it like is is asleep. So it it's not very good at noticing that. But yeah, it can definitely be a challenge. I know a lot of people who can get like frustrated or triggered or they don't want to be around people who are drunk or drinking because of that. Mm. I've noticed, and again, it certainly culturally in the UK amongst guys, there's a lot of bravado that goes on with drinking and it's almost like the showing off if they can handle their drink, you know, and keep going mm -hmm. and going and going. And it's um, the outcome, the end game is is not going to end in your favor, is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is a strange cultural thing, um, especially I think, yeah, with masculinity and things like that, of just this idea that you can handle, like we were saying, a poison or you can handle doing this, like this thing that that's hurting you and that that is a sign of strength or confidence. Um, yeah, it is very strange. <laughs> Building a life you don't want to escape from, then mm -hmm. you say, if we do this, we wouldn't even want to drink or feel the need to drink. But where to start, you know, because <laughs> life is tough. Life is tough. And I think that's an important part of it is that you not drinking isn't going to make life better essentially. Like it will, but it won't just magically change your life and make externally what's happening in your life better necessarily. What you do though, is you learn how to cope with things. You stop kicking the can down the road. You stop having your anxiety get worse and worse every day. You're not dealing with some of the health consequences. You, I say kind of the the great thing and the the terrible thing about alcohol is it allows us to live a life that doesn't work for us. We can be miserable at a job, but we can handle it because we're drinking. We could be in a relationship that isn't fulfilling, but we can just drink every night with our partner and connect with them over alcohol. We can do things that we don't like, like going to sports games or camping or doing something that maybe fundamentally you don't like, but you can drink to cope with it. So once you stop drinking, the hard thing is you're not going to be able to do things as easily that you don't like. You yeah. will see the cracks in the foundation of 
where your life isn't working or where relationships aren't working, which is really scary. But you also then are given the opportunity. It's kind of like, you know, red pill, blue pill. You're given the opportunity to start to change those things and to build a life then that you don't need to escape from. Mm. Yeah. And well, I would just piggyback off that and and say that, um, you know, if this is something that our listeners are maybe thinking about doing, again, going back to that question that you kept going back to, which is, is drinking worth it? Is this drink like worth it? And thinking about like what purpose is this drink serving? And and once you start to think in that way, then definitely, God, it makes you sort of question all sorts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think for anyone listening, I think starting with taking a couple weeks off is a great place to start. I would do it mindfully. I mean, I think the irony is you started, you know, in mid-January or the end of like, it doesn't need to be one month and 30 days or something. It can be a different amount of time and just do it really mindfully. Get really curious about how it's hard or really notice. It'll help you see how do you use alcohol to cope with life? And once you see how you use alcohol to cope, we can then start to think about other coping skills and things we can do so that we don't have to use alcohol. Incredible stuff. Thank you so much, Amanda. I always do the same five questions to wrap up the episode with every guest. Uh, It's the Happier Life Project's last five in five. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. When and where are you at your happiest? Hmm. I am at my happiest probably when I'm going for a walk with my husband and my daughter. What's your favorite thing to do that nourishes your mental health? Movement, definitely. Whether it's going for a walk, whether it's like exercising, stretching, moving my body is so important for my mental health. What piece of advice do you now know that you wished somebody would have told you earlier that would have made you a happier person? Mm. Trying to make everyone happy is a useless endeavor (laughs) and will only make you miserable. (laughs) What is the most important one thing that needs to change to make the world a happier place? Mm. There are a lot of things, but the first one that comes to my mind is I think we need to change the way we interact with social media. I'm especially worried for young people and teens and how it's impacting their mental health. Yeah. Okay. And finally, what is a simple, actionable first step we can take when it comes to healing our relationship with alcohol that will help us on our mission to building a happier life? I would say look into some alcohol-free options, experiment, swap, just try the simplest thing that you could do is just swap like that first drink maybe of yours that you take with a non-alcohol alternative. And then you can see if you actually wanted that drink, you can actually buy yourself some time to be curious about um, how alcohol impacts you or how the drink impacts you. And you can be a little bit more mindful through the process if you have other options besides just that alcoholic beverage. Love it. Amanda, thank you so much. So for more on you, 
there's lots actually to point <laughs> there out. There is. Um, I cannot recommend enough getting the book, Not Drinking Tonight, wherever you are with drinking or not. <laughs> um, yes. it's, it's a really good read and it really gives you like food for thought, definitely. Uh, you've got a podcast called Recovered-ish. I really love the fact that you weave in some pop culture stuff there when it's sort of relevant to to the topics as well, like the Britney stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and on Instagram, uh, it's at therapy for women. And you've got like half a million followers pretty much. So that must, that's, I find that must be quite daunting to have (laughs) that kind of reach. Like I'd be like so scared to do spelling mistakes or. (laughs) I tell people all the time, I'm not writing a book. So I make mistakes with spelling and I don't have an editor online. So they've got to be okay with that. (laughs) Well, it's it's clearly resonating. um, And we'll put all this in the, the show notes as well. So yeah, Amanda, thank you so much for today. And for yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Hi there, it's Gabby back with you. And Amanda's website is amandaewhite.com. And like I said, all the ways to find and follow Amanda and her work are also up in the podcast episodes show notes. So that almost wraps up another episode of the Happier Life Project. Thank you so much for tuning in and a big thanks again to Amanda for such a fantastic conversation when it comes to making poor decisions. And now we just need one more minute of your time, please, for the important housekeeping. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. If you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, please do call your doctor or the emergency services immediately. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, which is me, and the interviewees. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The Priory Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please do subscribe if you haven't done already and leave a review if you've got the time. And to hit us up on social media and stay on top of not just all the podcast stuff, but anything new coming from the My Possible Self app or any tips that we want to share that will aid you on your mental health journey, we are at My Possible Self. And I've been at Radio Gabby. Do take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.